us. Lord, as we get into your word, that you would help it to make sense to us, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our minds and our hearts, teach us something this morning, but not just so that we would know something, but Lord, that we would be closer to you, that Lord, we would be closer to your example and conformed more into your image and less less than the image of the world. Lord, we thank you this morning for Garrett, and again, God, we pray that his commitment to you uh, would be solid. Lord, that, that he would each and every day deny himself and take up his cross and follow you. God, I pray that you'd surround him with godly young people who will pour into his life and walk together with him as they follow after you. And God, thank you for this church. We thank you, Lord, for a new year. We pray, Lord, your blessings, the unseen ones especially, on 2017. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 2017, for some of you, is, is going to be... This thing's crooked. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to start over. Mark, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> anyway, 2017, for some of you, is going to be... It's going to be the year that you finally do it, whatever it may be. All right, you're gonna you're gonna finally get into the best shape of your life. You're gonna eat right. You're gonna do all the right stuff. You're gonna read the Bible through every week or something. I don't know what you're gonna do, but 2017 is gonna be it. It's, it's gonna be the year. That's what I'm telling myself. This is gonna be the year. For our family, 2017 is is sort of in some ways monumental. Nancy and I will both turn 40 this year. And, you know, 30 was kind of cool. I ain't sure about 40 yet. I, you know, some of you say, ah, you know, 60's a new 40. It's no big deal. You know, 90's a new 40. Whatever. I get it. That's all fine. But we're both going to turn 40. Uh, I won't tell you who gets there first. We're both going to turn 40 uh, this this year. I, and, and, and 2017 also is is the uh, the 20th anniversary of Nancy's uh, cheerleading fall at Murray State uh, years and years ago. Some of you may remember that at Racer Arena. And so 20 years ago that happened. And... Uh, and, and, and my, my oldest daughter, Lucy, she starts high school this year uh, in the fall. And so, I'm, you know, and my, my youngest will start first grade in the fall. Duke will be a first grader. And, and I'm not sure which blows my mind more. But, um, but I need a whole bunch of New Year's resolutions. I mean, i got a lot of stuff that's happening this year, a lot of things that I'm not quite ready for. And I, I've got to get it together, and I've got to resolve to do a few things and, and so on. And, 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 you know, you think about all that, and, and, and maybe some of you spent some time last night scrambling to write some things down to prepare. And, okay, these are the things I really want to accomplish, and it's meaningful to you and whatever. But think about it. Why in the world do we even make New Year's resolutions in the first place? Honestly, today's just another day. I mean, it really is. You know, it happens to be January 1st of a year that we've not yet experienced. But it's just its just another day. Why is it that we make New Year's resolutions? Now, okay, now I'm going to do something different. I mean, it, I think in some ways they bring us some sort of hope. You know what? I, maybe maybe there is a way that, that this next year can be better than the one before it. You know, that, that today literally can be better than yesterday. Because today is 2017 and yesterday was 2016. And, and it can be better. There's some reminder there that, you know what, maybe there is something, uh, some light at the end of whatever tunnel you may be staring into. I think New Year's resolutions also, they help us to kind of cope a little bit with some of the, the mountain of issues that might be facing us. You know, at least I feel like, okay, I'm going to focus on these five things this year. And these are the things I want to accomplish. And I see these issues in front of me and, and, and here's how I'm going to chip away at these things. 
They make us think in some way that we can do something about it all. I can do something about it. Okay, I can apply myself and I can get something done or I can do something about it. And, and in a few ways, I guess we can. Now, there are some things that we can do to take ownership for certain things in our lives. But in many ways, we can't do anything about any of it, right? Y'all know that. You've come to realize that. It didn't take me nearly 40 years to figure that one out. That Most of the stuff in life you can't do anything about. It's just the way that it is. I mean, honestly, which of last year's resolutions to change the world that you had didn't work out? You know, the world was no different. Or the world changed in ways that you didn't want it to. Which of those are you still working on? You know, if we're honest, we, we, we know that there's only so much that we can do about the problems about the sin, about the pain that we see either in the mirror or around the world. There's only so much we can do. And and that's where this new series that we're starting this morning kind of comes in. Uh, we're we're going to be in a series for a few months now on the idea of thy kingdom come. When, when I was first in ministry, I was a youth minister. And Clint and I have talked about this, and there are times when I still miss youth ministry. You know, I don't miss the late nights, being the last one to go to sleep, and then having to be the first one up, which is like from 2 to 5. You know, you get about three hours sleep. I don't miss that, but there's something about it that I miss. One of the things that I got to do when I was a youth minister in Louisville was to be the chaplain for the football team at my alma mater at Pleasure Ridge Park High School. I had a good friend who was an assistant coach there, and he asked me, so would you would you come and lead us every week in a, a team devotional? Would you would you be there for the team prayer before the game? And would you stand on the sidelines with us and just kind of give some, some moral and spiritual support? I said, absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. And so each Friday, I would get together with the team and and they would have a big meal right after school, and I would talk with them, and I would share some scripture, and we'd pray together and so on. And then right before they would charge out onto the field, in the locker room, we would pray. And, and I would pray initially and sort of pray something specific for them for that game, and then they would all join together to say the Lord's Prayer. And they would do it in the old King James, which was amazing. All these teenagers quoting King James scripture. But they would get to the part and they would say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it always struck me as I listened to them say that prayer. Not in just a cynical way, but in a sad reality way that, that so few of them meant any of the words that they repeated. So few of them even understood the words that they were saying, Thy kingdom come. If they had understood them, I'm not sure they would have said them. If they, had, if they had understood the implications and what they were really asking for, what they were really committing to in those words, they probably would have just skipped over that part. They didn't really mean it. It was sort of like a good luck charm. You ever memorize some passage of scripture, some prayer, some poem, whatever it may be, and you just repeat it to yourself and it's sort of a good luck charm. But what if we actually did pray for God's kingdom to come in our lives? What if we actually did pray for God's will to be done on earth, in our lives, in my heart, in my life personally, his will to be done just as much in me as it is in heaven? We wouldn't need any more New Year's resolutions, I'll tell you that. Life would be different, and it would never return to being the same. In this series called Thy Kingdom Come, and we'll get to the Lord's Prayer eventually, because we're going to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. But in this series, we're going to look at what does it look like 
for God's kingdom to invade your life. That's what God's kingdom is meant to do, is to absolutely take over. Not to sit over in the corner and for you to visit every once in a while when you feel like you need that good luck charm again. For God's kingdom to advance in your life. What would it look like if God's kingdom absolutely took over everything about you? Everything about your mind and your emotions and your relationships and your future and your job and your private world and even our church. What would it look like if God's kingdom was what we said, Lord, that's what we want. That's what I want. Nothing else, nothing less, nothing more than God's kingdom in my life and in our church. What would it be like to finally admit that, that our resolutions aren't going to change anything? And that we need God to take over. What would it be like to pray in every single situation, Lord, thy kingdom come right now, right now, and then receive the power of God's kingdom for that issue that you're dealing with? Why, why a whole series on the kingdom of God? I mean, that was just one little line of one little example of prayer that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6. Thy kingdom come. I really believe... That if we are going to understand the mission and the preaching and the ministry of Jesus, then we have to understand at least the basics about the kingdom of God. Because that's all he talked about. That's all he lived for. That's why he was sent. His mission, his preaching, his ministry was all about the kingdom of God. It was central to everything that he did. Now we, we live in 2017... We live in a very wonderful yet fearful time. It's a wonderful time because there are so many advances that make the good old days not so much the good old days anymore. You know what I'm saying? And yet it's a fearful time because some of the things about the good old days that weren't exactly around are now around and we have to deal with them and it's fearful. Happiness and security are seemingly elusive like never before. And we're chasing so many different things. We have such a wonderful time, but such a fearful time. And the question then is, what, what does it all mean? Where are we going? What's the solution to all of these issues? Those kinds of questions were the same things and questions that people were asking when Jesus showed up on the scene way back in the first century A.D., Especially the Jews. According to their biblical worldview, God was one day going to do something spectacular. That history was marching toward the consummation, the coming of the kingdom of God. That one day all of their issues, all of the wonderful things, all of the fearful things would be met and confronted with the kingdom of God. And God would intervene and he would interpose himself in a brand new way and things would change forever. He would fulfill his promises to them. He would deliver them from the evil around them. He would restore the kingdom of Israel to be just like it was at its pinnacle, only greater than it was under King David. Evil would be judged and God would usher in a new era of justice and peace. It would be like all the New Year's resolutions wrapped up into one and God would do something amazing. And so for them, that's what they expected the coming of God's kingdom to look like. They looked forward to this, except for them, as we learn from the New Testament, what it turned out to be was a kingdom of God that was made in their image. A kingdom of God from their plans, a kingdom of God according to their needs. And then Jesus showed up. And that's where we'll pick it up in Matthew chapter 4. If you've got a Bible handy, look with me, Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew's first book in the New Testament. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, go ahead and go to the table of contents, look it up, find the page number, and then Matthew chapter 4. A lot of things have happened in the life of Jesus that we have some record of and some not record of, but what we have in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 17. What we have is Jesus showing up on the scene to begin his formal and public ministry. Uh, He's been prophesied about. John the Baptist has already gone and preached and said, here he is. This is the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus says, all right, now it's time. Look at verse 17. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, has come near. Or, as some of your versions may say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's, it's now. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them. And I will make you fish for people, or I will make you fishers of men, your versions may say. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23, Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering with various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So here's when Jesus first shows up. Now, if you were Jesus and you first show up on the scene and you are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you are the Son of God and you want people to know about it, what would you do? You would announce that the kingdom has arrived. Now, it didn't come with with fireworks and all that kinds of thing. But Jesus, from the very outset, announces what he's about. He is bringing the kingdom of God. It says from that time on, from the time that he began his public and formal ministry, all of his mission, all of his preaching, all of his ministry was about the kingdom of God. Now the truth be told, that's not what a lot of people on the street, if you were to ask them in a survey, would respond about Jesus. Who was Jesus? Well, he was a good teacher. He was somebody that lived a long time ago, he was sort of a religious figure of some kind. He loved a lot of people. He taught us to love others. He taught us about some peace and, you know, joy and whatever. He set a good example. But I I wonder how many would respond, well, he he was a king. He he was the one who ushered in the the kingdom of God. Because they say, well, where's his throne? I mean, where's his army? Where's his castle? Where, Where does he take up residence? And yet... Here is Jesus announcing this kingdom that that from God is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's drawing a clear line in the sand. And it was startling to those who heard it, especially the Jews. They knew that the kingdom of God was the answer to their problems, as I told you a minute ago. But this was a Jewish carpenter who had no rabbinic, no rabbi credentials. And he's telling everybody that the kingdom of God has arrived. And at first, they sort of got on board. They got excited. You see the crowds follow him. 
man, this is cool, this is exciting, here's something new, here's a new teaching, here's a new guy on the scene, well, maybe he is the one. And then he starts talking about he's going to die. Then he starts telling them that, that they've got to give up their allegiances to the world and they've got to follow him. And then he goes to the cross and he dies. And people are thinking, what in the world kind of king is this? He has no kingdom. He has no throne. And so many people discarded him. But Jesus had announced that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's already here, he said. And he would go on to constantly talk about it, to live it out, and to demonstrate it. And he confronted the world over and over and over and over and over with this kingdom of God announcement that it's here. And he was redefining along the way what the kingdom of God would look like. The Jews wanted a kingdom, kingdom from God, but they wanted one they could help build. They wanted one that, that would suit them and their needs, and they wanted one that would do what they wanted. And according to Jesus, God was indeed intervening in human history, bringing his kingdom to earth. The promised Messiah had arrived, ushering in the kingdom of God, but it was going to be far different from what people originally thought. Now, I say all that. Not to bore you with details from ancient Israel, but to draw the parallel because the truth be told that many of us want something from Jesus, but we want it on our terms. We want it to be to suit our needs and to deliver our desires. And if you're honest and if I'm honest, that's the way we approach God a lot of times. Lord, I tell you what, I really want you in my life, but if it's okay, if you could just sort of do it this way. God, you know, I really want you to intervene, and God, I need your help, but Lord, I really would like to draw up the blueprint for how this is going to work, if it's okay with you. The truth be told is that we are often no different from those first Jewish listeners who heard about the kingdom, who sort of got excited thinking, man, this is, this is what we've always hoped for, this is what we've always dreamed of, and then later on as it was redefined, they realized, well, hold on, this is not what I expected. Jesus presented the kingdom of God when he says it is near, it has come near, as something that has already arrived. It's already here, but it's not going to be quite what you think. In fact, you won't be able to see it like you think you want to see it. Because it wasn't initially about defeating armies, armies and establishing some capital city and making earthly life perfect for his people. Instead, Jesus presented the kingdom as something that was primarily about what is unseen. What happens in the hearts of humans? What is unseen? The rule of God. And when he announced it, he carried on the biblical tradition right from the Old Testament all the way through his ministry, all the way to the end of the Bible, that there are two distinctly different ways of living, two distinctive kingdoms to live for. One is God's and one is ours. And so the Bible tells us very clearly, you'll see it there on your outline, that you can't either... By implication, we read this in what Jesus is saying. You can either build your own kingdom or you can receive God's kingdom, but you can't do both. Jesus announcing the kingdom is here. He's bringing it to a head. He's confronting their earthly mindset with the fact that the kingdom has arrived. And by implication, he's telling them what the Bible has told them all along. If you read the Old Testament, you'll get it. That you can either build and be about your own kingdom and about you and your stuff and whatever you might want, or you can receive God's kingdom. Now there's a subtle implication there. We don't build God's kingdom, just so you know. We don't build it. He does. He builds it. We receive it. We enter it. We receive it. He builds it. It's up to him. 
Just as a side note, as a little timeout, just so we all are clear in 2017, God does not need me and he does not need you for building his kingdom. He does not, I know this will, will hurt some of us, he does not need Elm Grove Baptist Church to build his kingdom. God has chosen to use the local church. He has chosen to use you and me. He's chosen to use our church, but he doesn't need us. God builds his kingdom. We make sure we get that straight. When we begin to understand that it is his kingdom that has come near, puts things into perspective. But we can either build our own kingdom or we can receive God's kingdom, but we can't do both at the same time. When you think about your own kingdom, my own kingdom, when, when, you, when you think about what that is, well, you, you hear different pieces of advice. Building your own kingdom is about following your heart. Listen, just, just do whatever is, is, is on your heart. Just do whatever, listen, whatever you think you need to do, whatever's in your gut, you just go with that. Isn't it true that a lot of times whatever is in our hearts and in our gut, if you will, is simply whatever we want to do? Building our own kingdom is about our rule in our lives. It's about our heart. It's about our needs and comfort and desires and our reputations and our natural inclinations. It's about me, what I like to do and feel like doing in this particular moment. It's about taking care of me and my family and my needs and what I want and what's best for me. It's about ensuring that I'm taken care of, that, that down the road everybody else connected to me is taken care of. And you go about building your own kingdom just by doing what everybody else does. Nobody in this world is going to tell you, hey, look, you're, you're just building your own kingdom and that's wrong. What are they going to tell you? Hey, look, you've got to look out for yourself. Nobody else is going to. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to compete a little bit to get ahead. You've got to, you've got to make sure that, that you have comfort at all costs. They're going to teach you to, to think with a scarcity mentality that, that it's really a zero-sum game, that if somebody else wins, then you lose. They're going to teach you that if it's going to be, it's up to me. I've got to make it happen. And we build our own kingdoms because it's what comes naturally to us. We don't have to be taught. We don't have to learn those things. They just come naturally to us. We're naturally going to do whatever we want to do. Remember when our kids were very young. In fact, I was telling a story earlier about one time when one of our kids just would not stop screaming and crying. <laughs> Wanting something. Very little at that time. Just a few months old. But kids learn early, don't they? You want something, you scream for it. It's just the way it is. And somebody will give it to you. We build our own kingdoms just because it comes naturally. And it's all we see in the world. It's the example that we see around us. And, and, and honestly, in some ways, it's just easier to go through life that way. I'm just going to do what i got to do. I'm going to do what I need to do. And in a lot of ways, it makes us feel like we're accomplishing something. Look what I have to show for what I've done in life. And then there's God's kingdom. And, and when you start to define what God's kingdom is, this is where some confusion comes in. I, I did a lot of reading in the last couple of weeks just about what if people said the kingdom of God actually is. I mean, you read those verses, and I hope that when you read something like that and you don't understand it, that you stop for just a second and you admit, I don't understand that. And so when I started to read and think about what is it that God wants to say to us in, two, in 2017, he put it on, on my mind and on my heart. I couldn't get away from it. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the verse. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That was the theme. What is it that God wanted to say? And I didn't exactly know all that it meant. 
What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? There's some people who would tell you, well, it's, it's sort of a, a feeling in your soul. It, it's, it's kind of a, an inward power that you have, you know, sort of power over the moment of some kind. Some people would tell you that it's only for the future, that one day, someday, the kingdom of God will be experienced. And when Jesus returns, that's when we'll see the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about that next week. Because the kingdom of God is already here, but it's not all here yet. We'll talk about that next week. Some people say it's only future, though, that it has no particular temporal implication. Some people say that it's just an ideal pattern for the way that humans ought to behave toward one another. Well, if we all would just do things the way that Jesus told us to do it, if we'd all just sit around and grab each other by the shoulder and sway back and forth and sing Kumbaya and all that stuff, and we'd go to camp and we'd throw sticks in the fire when everybody else throws sticks in the fire and we'd pray and we'd cry and all that stuff, and it would be great and we'd all get along, we'd have joy and peace forever. That's sort of the kingdom of God. That's what people have taught We immediately think of a kingdom when we think of a king with land and people. But that's not exactly the way the Bible describes it. According to the the Bible, when you read and, and you study a little bit about the kingdom of God, it primarily does not mean a particular place among a particular nation and nationality. It means the authority and the rule of God. It means His authority over the entire world. It means His right to rule in and through us. It means His sovereignty over everything. That's the idea of God's kingdom. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, it is God's rule is now among you in a fresh, brand new way. When you think of God's kingdom, as we move through this series, I want you to think God's rule. Thy kingdom come. God, your rule come. Not, hey, you know, God, I'd like to have a nice meal like some people that are visiting a kingdom might have. No, no, no. God, your rule. God, your authority, your sovereignty. God, you be in charge. It's not a place we go to. It's a reality in which we live. It's not something that's just for when Jesus returns and the world as we know it ends. It's something, as Jesus says, that has come near. It's right here and right now. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. How do we receive it? We can build our own kingdom or we can receive God's kingdom. Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 3 that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is what? Anybody know it? Born again. Born from above. Born anew. And the question then follows, well, how can you do that? That's physically impossible. Is a man supposed to enter the womb again and then be born Jesus? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. The kingdom of God is entered as we are made new by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, by His grace through faith. That's how we enter. That's how we receive the kingdom of God. It's through humbling ourselves and receiving God's gracious offer of, of forgiveness and salvation. Jesus talked about it also in Matthew chapter 4 and when He said in verse 17, Repent. Turn around. Leave your old life and receive the new life of the kingdom. So it is received by grace through faith. You think, well, why don't we do that? Listen, I'm convinced that there are many Christians who have said, and and who are professing, and I believe real Christians, who have said, Lord, thy kingdom come. They didn't mean it. Why, Why don't we receive the kingdom? Well, you know, in some ways it just doesn't make us any guarantees. 
I think in some ways it's because it has no borders. Do you realize the kingdom of God has no no boundaries whatsoever? No borders. It's going to go everywhere. Anywhere God pleases for the kingdom to invade your life, that's where it will go. And so if we could just say, okay, Lord, over here, I like your kingdom in this little compartment of my life. God, if you can put some borders and a fence up around over here, that would be great. But, but the kingdom of God has no borders. It has no boundaries. And Jesus announcing the kingdom basically tells them, you've got a choice to make. You can build your kingdom or you can receive God's kingdom. And there are a few things that he went on to imply that we will do right here, right now, today, and every single day of 2017 that we will do in response to the announcement of Jesus. And I'm going to give you those and then we'll close. Three things that we're going to do, you and I will do today, and we will do tomorrow, and we will do every moment of the next week. First, we will decide. Jesus, it says, from then on began to preach in verse 17, repent. He announces the kingdom and immediately forces people to choose, to decide what will you do with the fact that the kingdom of God is near. What will you do with the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, has come on the scene? He demanded a decision from those who heard him. They were to make, if you will, a resolution. Never to go back. To think it through. To count the cost. And he said, now is the time to decide. It was going to be a radical decision. As you see in the the first disciples that he calls... There was never to be anything casual about their faith in Jesus Christ. It was a complete change, one that would alter their lives forever. We were, we were in Branson this past week, and we were at Silver Dollar City, which is the theme park. It's a really great place. My kids love it. And we, there, there's a train. Some of you have been there. There's a train that goes around the edge of the park. And they normally in the summertime, in the fall, whatever, they, they do sort of a, an outlaw-type program. But in the, in the, the wintertime, <clears throat> around Christmas, they do a, a Christmas song sing-along. And then you pull up to a particular area, and there's a guy who tells the Christmas story. And so my kids and Nancy and I are all sitting here on the on the row of the, the, the train car, and in front of us are two two rows that have a few younger people there, and it was interesting. I was listening less to the man telling the Christmas story and more to the scoffers who were sitting in the rows ahead of me. And I say the word scoffer because that's what they were doing. It's a biblical term that sort of means right. And so one young man in particular... When the, the old guy sitting there said, uh, you know, I want to tell you the true meaning of Christmas. He goes, <sighs> you know, what happened initially in me was I got angry. I was offended. And then after I realized that, you know what, this isn't about you, so just calm down for a second. This is about a guy who has never taken seriously the fact that Jesus Christ lived. He's never taken it seriously. All he's done has been very casual about matters of his soul. He doesn't care. Deal with that one day or maybe never. Who, who cares? He's never stopped to deal with, to decide what he believes really about Jesus, and yet, I guess in some way, he really has. The, the decision about Jesus is a radical decision. 
One that requires that we be very concerned about matters of the soul. Not, eh, you know what, that's for old people. I mean, you know, old people at church and stuff, that's for them to be serious. And although they're, you know, they're, they're just a couple years away from not being here anymore. It's for them to deal with. You ever thought that when you were younger? And now you are that older person? You're like, hold on a second. You talk, Wait a minute. You know, you, you, you know what I'm saying? It's for one day, someday. This guy on the train, unconcerned about matters of the soul, not knowing that, as the Bible says, his very life could be taken just like that. Jesus demanded a decision. Deal with it, he said. And yes, it's a costly decision. Yes, it is turning from everything. Yes, it is repentance, leaving an old life, removing all barriers of sin and self-sufficiency. Yes, that's the decision that Jesus calls us to. Yes. It's not a decision of comfort. I want to be honest with you. I gave my life to Jesus when I was eight years old. At this point, I don't know what all fun I've missed out on. I can kind of see it in some people. But it's been a costly decision. You know, I baptized Garrett this morning. And and, and the the scripture that I prayed over was, was deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Does it sound like a lot of fun all the time? No, it doesn't. But that's the decision, isn't it? That's it. Decide, repent. Jesus forces them to decide. And today, you and I are deciding. We are. We're deciding either to build our own kingdoms or to receive God's kingdom. And we're doing it in every area of life. Every area of life. We are deciding right now whether we realize it or not. Just like the young man on the train. There's no cop out here. We're making a decision about which kingdom will rule in our hearts and lives. And we're doing it every moment of every day. That, that we are deciding. We've got to own it. You may or may not be a church person. You may, you may have come today because it's New Year's and somebody dragged you to church. Or I don't know. But, but we are deciding every moment of every day as to which kingdom will rule in our hearts and our lives. And it's time today that we own up to the decisions that we're making about the kingdom of God. Decide. We are, you and I are deciding. In every area of my life, I'm deciding if God's going to rule or if I'm going to rule. Every area. Every decision I make is about that. Period. The second thing we're all going to do is we're all going to follow. Verse 19, after Jesus sees these disciples, he says, follow me. He says, okay, you are the disciples I want with me. Follow me. This is the king calling his subjects to join themselves to him and to do what he says and to do what he does. This is the king asserting his authority over people and telling them how to live. You realize that there, was, there wasn't a lot of negotiation here. He just said, follow me. That was the command. That's what you were to do. Follow me, he said. So this is the king commanding that his people leave their old lives and radically reject everything but his kingdom. And he was calling them to discipleship. To an attachment to him. To joining him in his mission. To adjusting to his will. You ever notice how Jesus does that? You realize that following Jesus is not just a one and done kind of thing? We're going to sing in a moment a closing song. I have decided to follow Jesus. And I hope that you have. But I also hope that you will. Because there will come a moment this afternoon or this evening or this week where you will have to decide again, I will follow Jesus in this moment. 
No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. It is a constant adjustment to what Jesus wants. It is an allegiance to Him above all. It is a relationship with Him that must take priority over everything else. And so what did they do? They left their nets. They received the kingdom. They were no longer the same. They were no longer just fishermen. When you receive the kingdom of God, you will no longer just go to work tomorrow or just go to school this week or just do your daily activities. You will no longer just do those things. You will be someone doing them under the power of having received the kingdom of God. They were no longer the same. And they did in that moment as much as they could with as much as they understood. And hear that for a second. I don't know where you are spiritually, each person. I know some of your stories. And I know some of the things that God has done in your life and maybe where you are. Let me encourage you this morning. Follow Jesus as much as you can with as much as you understand. Follow Jesus with as much as you can with as much as you understand about Him and about His will. Now, if you understand a lot about Jesus and you've been a professing believer for a long time and you really have studied the Bible, guess what? You ought to be following Jesus way out here. But if you're somebody who's just getting introduced to all this stuff, and you say, you know, man, I don't, you know, I've had people come to, I don't know anything about the Bible. Let me just encourage you, you start where you are. You follow Jesus as much as you can with as much as you understand. There are stories in the Bible about people who did just that. They just left their nets. They said, okay, apparently this is what I need to do. This is the life that God has called me to. And so I will follow, I will I will follow as much as I can with as much as I understand. And so today, we will follow. We're either going to follow the ruler of our kingdom, which is me and mine, or we're going to follow the ruler of God's kingdom, who is Jesus Christ. And we are following someone as we walk out the doors today. Who will it be? And then thirdly, we will experience... Hang with me in Matthew chapter 23, or chapter 4, rather, verse 23. Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. He went from there, and he showed them what a kingdom experience looks like. And he went and he taught, and he preached, and he healed, and he made people whole. And he addressed all of their issues mentally and spiritually and physically. And he helped them understand what kingdom life is like. And you and I, as we leave these doors today, we will experience the rewards of our kingdom or the rewards of God's kingdom. One or the other. The rewards of our kingdom are immediate. We're going to get some immediate gratification. You're going to accomplish something. You're going to do something. You're going to build something. You're going to make something. You're going to make something happen. And so you'll compare yourself to know if you are doing a pretty good job building your kingdom. You'll compete to make sure that nobody else has a kingdom any better than yours. And eventually, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, it will all collapse. Did you get the three C's? 
compare, compete, collapse. Guys, got to pay attention. I'm telling you, good stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> some people are. You will, though, have it all eventually. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, it will all collapse one day. If your kingdom is about you and of this world, it will collapse because the rewards of our kingdoms are temporary and they are an illusion. The rewards to be experienced, however, with God's kingdom are eternal, even if they are unseen in this world. Because they are hope and peace and joy and forgiveness and freedom and healing and resurrection. Those are the eternal rewards. And so this morning as we close, what do you need to decide today about Jesus for 2017, but not for this whole year, but just, just for right now? What, what needs to be decided? Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It's already here because Jesus is here. God's rule has come in a special way. What are you going to decide about it? Maybe for the first time you decide, you know what? I've got to do something about Jesus. I need to learn more. I've got to figure this thing out. I need to understand what salvation means. I don't even know what forgiveness is you're talking about. Would you please help me? I need to make a decision. Would you help me? And I'd be happy to. Would you decide that you need the rule of God in your life? God, in this area, Lord, you know what area it is. God, you know. And I need, Lord, I need you to be in charge right there. I want the rule of God in my life right here, right now, where I am. What what do you need to decide? Who, who will you follow today? In what way this morning is Jesus calling you to, to follow him one step beyond where you've been? One more step. Maybe it's for the very first time, as I mentioned, for you in repentance and faith to come to Jesus and say, I need to, I need to follow him. Or maybe there's somebody here this morning who's sort of been just kind of half-hearted and you say, look, I, this thing hasn't been serious for me and I'm going to follow Jesus beyond being half-hearted. I'm going to give my life to him fully and completely. Maybe, maybe there's something else. Maybe it's leadership in some particular area in the church or maybe it's ministry of some kind. I don't know what it may be, but how is it that God is calling you one step beyond where you've been? And, and what will you experience today? Will you experience only the temporary and the illusory kinds of rewards? Or will you experience the eternal and permanent, even if unseen, rewards from God? You, you can build your own kingdom or you can receive the kingdom of God, but you, you can't do both. Let's pray together. this morning as you spend just a moment just thinking through, working through what it is that God has said through his word this morning my prayer is that you'll experience the kingdom of God 